a pit of fame that rivals the peaks in my lands. One, I admit, I dug and put there. It's not a brief dip, not a dimple, but a departure where the soul leaves its things. Careful where I step, I try to escape the pull in a flood of sacred words and tether to principles higher than my sight. But the wind, it unhinges there in its own spirals and howls as the vacuum draws the cycles in like all the miles down. Every wolf in every cave of my history mourns their peace to a cratered false idol. And it must gnaw my smile crooked, because why do I look this tired? The pit blends in with the topography, and there are few who travel that far to understand. It, open-mouthed, creates new gravity and shifts and hovers like a scent caught ending. I would fear the nadir had it not lifted me so gently mended. Had I not called to God and watched the dark turn so vastly bending. And where was faith? Where was more? On the other side of an abyss where evil is the aberration and where silence has been teeming warm with doors and doors and doors. What's up, everyone? Matt here. Welcome to War Machine, a podcast for theological nomads. I recently spoke with my friend Asha Gowan, who is an educator, philosopher, and poet, uh, and who is someone I've known in the online space for several years, and who I think is an interesting person. So our conversation has to do mainly with art or artistic expression and trauma. Uh, and, and I guess because of that, it felt, a, you know, quite a bit more vulnerable and maybe a bit less academically focused. Not sure. Uh, in any case, I really enjoyed the conversation and I, yeah, hope you enjoy as well. So here is Asha Gowan. Peace. How you been? Pretty good. I can't complain. Uh, better, a lot better. So. Okay, that's a very pregnant better. I know. So. Let's unpack that. No, <laughs> Let's go straight there. What, what, do you, what do you mean better? Better than what? Well, I mean, I was, I, I got out of a pretty crazy um, entanglement. I'm going to call it entanglement. It was not a relationship. 
relationship implies that you know two people actually put in work and effort <laughs> mutual so, trust and effort yeah yeah i get that yeah yeah yeah. so anyway that's over and done with and uh, i feel a lot better about life so there's that's, that <laughs> that's a good place to start i like um yeah. if you don't mind it i like your outfit it looks like um have you ever seen this cartoon I'm not sure if it's actually French, but it takes place in Paris called uh, Miraculous Ladybug. <laughs> no. Okay. The only Ladybug story I'm familiar with is like Eric Carl, the grouchy Ladybug. I don't know that one. That's something I'm familiar with, but yeah. I teach little people too, so. Midgets? No. <laughs> I teach midgets for a living now. <laughs> um, I'm like, wait a minute. You just got like a thousand percent more interesting. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, like children, <laughs> children. Mm -hmm. Those little people, I got it. Yeah, yeah. You're a grade school teacher. Yeah, just like basic um, math. Anything higher than like you know, double digit addition and subtraction is outside of my <laughs> my wheelhouse. But um, that and basic like reading and and writing stuff, yeah. like elementary school stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe to set up the conversation just a little bit yeah. rather than just kind of endlessly bullshitting, which I'm happy to do as well. But I guess I've known you in the online space for several years. And I think it's safe to say that we have like a lot of shared interests, maybe shared sensibilities with different kinds of things. Um, what I know of you in any sort of, I don't know, definitive way, I guess, is I primarily think of you as a poet because I've seen and read a lot of your work that you've shared online and I've been really sort of affected by it. I mean, listen, I've written poetry. If you catch me on the right day, I'm happy to claim that I'm a poet, but you know, there's poets and then there's poets and I feel like you're the real thing. Wow. Well, thank you. Thanks a lot. But I'm sure that's not all there is to you. And uh, do you want to say something about who you are, where you come from and what your interests and work kind of centers on? Yeah, sure. Um, I don't know. I, I've been, big question. Um, I've had a lot of trauma in my life. Why don't we begin there? Um, so trauma has been something I've learned more about as I've gotten older, how to, how to navigate it, how to understand it, contextualize it, uh, compartmentalize it when necessary. But it's um, it, it's something that pervades a lot of my artistic imagination. I kind of use writing as a way to ground myself sometimes in the echoes of trauma in my, in my life and also how I've been internally affected by it. So I think that really was the catalyst for a lot of artistic expression, just like feeling these things and not, not being satisfied with everyday language, like needing, needing to reach into symbology and uh, literary stuff, art stuff. I, I was around art as a kid too. My dad's an artist, uh, a narcissist artist, <laughs> which was interesting. But um, a narcissist artist is that what you said? Narcissist artist, yeah. Nar uh, okay, narcissist, I'm, an artist. <laughs> I'm sure that's more common than people. Are I know. Aware. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but my mother was also an artist, and she she was taught by him. She learned art from him and went on to go to art school. And she was phenomenal. She was amazing. She was an amazing artist, visual artist. And she stopped 
doing it and a lot of her artistic expression and reliance on that as a, a avenue of expression kind of died and I watched it die when I was growing up and it can contributed to her depression. So I've always seen depression and kind of mental struggling and challenges in my life as I was growing up. So I guess trying to understand deep feeling and pain and stuff like that, trying to express it and get it out kind of like cathartically kind of motivated my whole foray into, into poetry. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't feel like it's like a unique story. I think a lot of artists are drawn to art as a way to do that thing. So Sure. I, I mean, I'm sure if we got into the specifics, which we don't need to do, yeah. there would be uh, there would be plenty of I don't know correlates and and points of resonance between your story, which is I'm sure very different from my own. But there's no let me say it in a really kind of weird way. There's no right way to experience trauma. Yeah. <laughs> we all we we all kind of experience it in our in our own unique way. I mean, to the extent that. Um, anyone does experience trauma, you know, God bless anyone who, who doesn't, but as you're, as you're suggesting and saying, I think it's, it really does shape, not just the way that you engage with the world and your way of being, I guess, in the world. Uh, but then also there's this sort of impulse to express that in an artistic way. And for, for you, I guess it's a, it's poetry. You have a way with words, I guess it would be fair to say. I was thinking about this earlier. What is it about, not just poetry, I guess, but like literature about making marks or just language in general that allows one to, to transfer a part of their own subjectivity to another person? Because I think that's kind of, that's what's happening when I'm affected by poetry. Somehow someone's subjectivity has been transferred to me mm -hmm. symbolically or otherwise. So is that something you've given any thought to? Yeah, that I love the way you worded that. That's actually a part of a, a project, a personal project I'm working on right now. Hopefully I'll be able to launch it via like a YouTube channel thing. But I've really gotten into psychoanalysis lately, the whole yeah. tradition, psychodynamic stuff. And um, it's, I think your name is Karen Ornai. <laughs> Looks like horny, but it's not, it's Ornai. <laughs> Karen Ornai. <laughs> yeah. Let Freud get a hold of that one. But, um, but I'm interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she has this really interesting book called Self-Analysis. And um, in it, she's she's basically saying that the patient has the capacity to be both patient and analyst. Mm -hmm. And she really uh, celebrates the, the merits of free association. Just like writing whatever comes to your mind, blah, blah, blah. And she says that's that's one of the best ways to access the unconscious. So I think the unconscious, those those areas of the mind are very correlated with imagery and images and things like that. Yeah. And I think in art, I really like what, what uh, Elizabeth Gross said mm -hmm. yeah. in the book. Yeah. Chaos, Territory, and Art. I have it over here on my stack of things to read. It's fantastic. It's amazing. I just love it. She's she basically says that art is architecture. All art is architecture, and that you're you're creating a frame to to capture a little bit of chaos, and we can call the unconscious images floating around our head chaos, chaoid sensations. She calls it, and 
she's like within the frame, the artistic frame is a little bit of chaos itself. But whenever we make art like that to capture it, we're extending the territory, so to speak, in a Deleuzean sense. Mm -hmm. And art is basically giving us more access to sensation and experience and, and things like that. Um, yeah, I just really like this this idea of art being like a a frame for chaotic things and um within that frame there's a little bit of chaos itself but yeah you know. so the, the idea of like framing uh i don't want to say in framing because that's going to be like a slightly different thing but since we're talking about art in a general sense brings to mind a kind of curatorial task if one of the tasks is to expand and then in frame the territories of chaos Let's just say that that's one task of the artist. What is the task of poetry in your own understanding? Like, I'm not asking for like an academic answer, but like, you know, how do you approach it? That's a, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I'm still kind of figuring that one out myself, but I think like, okay, in psychology or, or psychoanalysis, in my studies of narcissism, I've studied it a lot because it's unfortunately been in my life a lot, but um being equipped with a language helps you to kind of capture chaotic sensations and feelings that have, you know, that have no root in a con concept that can be then moved and maneuvered to create a structure mm. for the basis of healing. A huge part of healing is in assigning meaning to that kind of suffering. So when you have a, a name for things, then you can begin to map things and like trace things and see patterns here and patterns there you can kind of create a structure in between what seems to be this nebulous haze of just emotional overload and right i think poetry and its use of like metaphor and things like that um i really like recur's definition of metaphor as like a discursive heuristic you're bridging two seemingly dissimilar things with you know some kind of Thing that connects them but mm -hmm. ultimately there is this ground plane of sameness indistinguishability between things and the deeper you go into things the more similar they begin to become and I think that is where it's like the birthplace of really deep connection and meaning making so I think the poet is seeking out meaning of course and trying to build systems of meaning through the use of images and words and concepts. It's really interesting because the act of mapping, playing the role of a cartographer, yeah. is a way of stabilizing what is otherwise a sort of, could be a chaotic and overwhelming avalanche of phenomenon that doesn't allow you to function in the world. When you're invested in, in bringing about your own healing, and able to enact that in whatever way you're able to, whether it's artistically or otherwise, yeah. you have developed a skill then that you can share with other people. It relates in my mind to the idea of the wounded healer, mm. to really be an effective physician, to apply medicine effectively. You have to understand the nature of the disease and to really confront trauma not overcome trauma because I don't think that trauma is ever something that's ever really overcome. I think it's something that we circle around, yeah. but as we circle around it, as you say, we, we map it, make sense of it, come to terms with it to whatever extent we're able. 
there was a theory popularized by Philip Bromberg called a self-state theory, as opposed to like the very German rigid way of looking at the self and personality as this unitary, relatively unchanging thing. Self-state theories like we have different versions of ourselves that play different roles when we're socializing with a particular group of people or when we're at home may be in a different self-state than the state that we occupy when we're at work or something like that. And we we navigate these self-states in an external and an internal fashion. And for me, it makes more, more sense, especially having gone through certain traumatic things and having felt like like a arrested development in some ways because of the trauma and my ability to be fully present with people sometimes. I've, I've had social anxiety for a long time. That's, I mean, so much better. But for a while, I was so repressed just couldn't like ex- express myself and um that was definitely the the product of traumatic experiences complex ptsd which i, which I have but um i feel like trauma intensifies the experience of different self-states internally yeah. um and it's like you become more aware of breakages in your continuity of of self and your self-concept it's like some versions of yourself or some self-states become marooned when you're writing you're not only writing to an audience you're writing to kind of call back to parts of yourself that Mm. have been estranged or alienated from that continuity of self Mm -hmm. um so at least that's that was very viscerally true for me I don't know if this is exactly what you're saying, but just in my own experience, the question that I've sometimes asked myself is, who am I apart from this trauma? Yes. Yeah. And that's a really difficult question to to answer. And I'm not sure there's any sort of clear, you know, heuristic for determining for that question. But there's a sort of, at least in my experience, there's a an acknowledgement and, a, and an acceptance of a failure. <laughs> right you failed to you failed to reach the the hoped for state yeah. um there's certainly a hard lesson to be learned in that but also it's just like this deep and abiding sense of loss feel a little bit disoriented having this conversation because this feels a lot more personal than a lot of the conversations I usually have and maybe that's just because it's centering around you know personal trauma and that sort of thing but I guess it's important to touch on especially when it comes to your writing at least the sense I get from your writing which I think does very much express a sense of navigating trauma I don't know if, if that's something you want to talk about or uh, what I was really hoping is if I could get you to like read something that you that you'd like to share. Yeah. Um, let's see. Okay. Um, so another another aspect of um, my writing 
uh, as of late is kind of like spirituality, but, Mm -hmm. um, and experimenting with like ideas of, of God and involving that idea and concept in trauma healing, my trauma healing, blah, blah, blah. Um, but this one's called the pit of fame and yeah. Okay. And yeah, I'll just read that. Okay. There's a pit of fame that rivals the peaks in my lands. One I admit I dug and put there. It's not a brief dip, not a dimple, but a departure where the soul leaves its things. Careful where I step, I try to escape the pool in a flood of sacred words and tether to principles higher than my sight. But the wind, it unhinges there in its own spirals and howls as the vacuum draws the cycles in like all the miles down. Every wolf in every cave of my history mourns their peace to a cratered false idol. And it must gnaw my smile crooked because why do I look this tired? The pit blends in with the topography and there are few travel that far to understand. It, open-mouthed, creates new gravity and shifts and hovers like a scent caught ending. I would fear the nadir had it not lifted me so gently mended. Had I not called to God and watched the dark turn so vastly bending? And where was faith? Where was more? On the other side of an abyss where evil is the aberration and where silence has been teeming warm with doors and doors and doors. That was that one. That's fucking beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, I mean, this is the first time I've heard that. So I'm just curious about where you land that doors and doors and doors. What are you kind of invoking there? So after, okay, after breaking away from my ex-partner, um, it literally killed me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I get it, like, a, like a part of me. Yeah. So it's some of the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. And I had to understand why. And as I said, I kind of grew grew up around narcissism and it all kind of culminated with, you know, someone who actually had NPD (laughs) full blown. Um, And so I had to, I had to find myself again, or I would never be found. It was kind of like that intense. So the pit of fame is kind of what that relationship left in my internal landscape. And so the the ending part of that is me trying to rekindle my faith in God, which I I did. And it helped me to ground around some, some kind of hope and tether myself to, to something greater. Um, And I needed that kind of meaning outside of myself to, to pull me out Mm -hmm. (laughs) of the abyss. Um, So the last line, the doors and doors and doors. It's like, as I've been doing that, as I've been just focusing on brutal honesty with myself every single day, dedicating parts of my day to just self-analysis mm-hmm. and things like that, as I made a habit of doing that, um, I felt more levity in my life. And ironically, it's like the more intensely I concentrate on that, the less I have to, because it's like, it's developing these patterns of insight or the ability to look within insight and that sense of the word. 
I feel like I have more of a center now. I feel like my sense of feeling again, like the fullness, Hmm. internal sense of fullness is coming back. And um, it's a miraculous thing. It's like I feel opportunity in life. I look forward to getting up, you know, these days. And it's like doors to happiness and doors to joy and doors to hope and a greater sense of purpose Mm -hmm. are opening, I guess, this is what I was trying to express with that. But (laughs) it's cool to hear that it's like that that is kind of like a an an up note, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Let's turn I'm trying to like experiment with hope. Hope in poetry is thing. (laughs) My poetry is not hopeful, has not been very hopeful. So I I would agree with that. But also I would say from what I've read, it's been very palpable because of that. I'm not a huge poetry buff or anything like that, but I I have um I have like a shelf on my my bookshelf that's dedicated to poetry. And there's Mm -hmm. there's one I I go back to pretty often. Um let me grab it. Okay, cool. Do you know this uh this writer Adrian Rich? Yes, I know some of her stuff, yeah. Um I just like happened upon this diving into the wreck um, collection one time. It's fucking dope. And every every so often I return to it. And when I do that, I'm struck by different things. And one of the things I've noticed the past few times I've looked at it is how fucking angry and pissed pissed off this poetry is. (laughs) It's not just like this sort of... um, there's not a sort of wistfulness to it, right? There, there, there's a real palpable sense of anger. The Ninth Symphony of Beethoven, understood at last as a sexual message. A man in terror of impotence or infertility, not knowing the difference. A man trying to tell something howling from the climactic music of the entirely isolated soul, yelling at joy from the tunnel of the ego. Music without the ghost of another person in it. Music trying to tell something the man does not want out, would keep, if he could, gagged and bound and flogged with cords of joy. Where everything is silence, and the beating of a bloody fist upon a splintered table. It's kind of like this idea out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, kind of. And I guess, you know, it's Proverbs, Bible. How dare you. (laughs) Next but thing yeah. you're spitting Leviticus at me. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Everybody loves Leviticus, that guy. Yeah. The real crowd pleaser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. I think the intensity of emotion creates uh, urgency that goes beyond just, you know, the intellect. It calls upon everything in your being to find some kind of way to to process whatever is happening in this intense moment because we need to protect our equilibrium and this is threatening equilibrium that kind of thing so I think it's 
I will say like a spiritual exigency um, in those, in the heat of those kinds of emotional. Yeah. But there's something like magical t- about it too. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. That's what I'm thinking at that too. When I was talking about like the transfer of subjectivity, I have no way to sort of demonstrably prove that that is what's going on. But I think that a lot of people who read poetry, like they would affirm that, that kind of statement. What's the thing called where people communicate just with their minds? Um, Telepathy. Yeah, it's a form of telepathy. Yeah. But of course, it's mediated telepathy. Yeah. And I don't know, there's something just deeply magical about that to me. Yeah, all art, really. But I I know exactly what you mean. I feel the same way. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Tell me about your YouTube projects. What are are you up to with that? Okay, so that's something that's the product of everything that's happened up into my life till now. <laughs> so it's, it's a big thing, but I've, I've been working on a, a fiction novel for several years, just have not been able to remain as consistent as I, as I would like for different reasons. But um, within it, there is a, there's like a sentient river called uh, Riven Song. I was trying to go back to writing it recently and I couldn't just because I'm blocked. So hopefully the project will kind of open up some, some things for me, but I'm calling it the Riven Song Initiative as like a project of trauma healing that is more like um, a multi-systems approach where I'm actually trying to take this metaphor that I keep seeing that compares the self and identity and personality to a river. It just really resonates with me. Um, I'm trying to take that and play with it by studying like actual river science and bringing yeah, philosophy in and, and art and stuff like that. And trying to create microsystem kind of art creative projects that are specifically tailored to different parts of the self that may be dislocated or or estranged and trying to bring self states into greater conversation and dialogue. So one of the things I've been working on within the project is actually like trying to create or like parameterize more of those self states within myself and actually fill them out a little more explicitly. The part of myself that's still the traumatized child, the part of myself that's the traumatized, you know, ex adult girlfriend (laughs) yeah and then the the higher self whatever you want to call it just writing nothing but dialogue between them and seeing what happens and it's been really fascinating it's like healthy multiple personality disorder (laughs) you know it's like it's been interesting like I've actually discovered some things so I'm trying to experiment on myself to see if I can create something that might be useful for other people I don't know. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I mean, some of the most affecting and profound experiences in my own healing journey have been those where I've, I feel like I've connected with a, I don't want to say a part of myself, like that's fine. That's a fine way of speaking about it. But also I think I want to say like a prior version. Okay. I like that too. Of myself, like there was one time that I was in meditation and I had been working with a, a Jungian therapist and we were doing a lot of drawing. Mm-hmm. 
And something that was coming up for me in those sessions was this sort of amorphous, black, scaly vision that was just beneath ice. It was just out of sight, right? It just couldn't kind of make it out. And then I kept exploring that in my own meditation. And then it was just like like an epiphany, frankly, where I realized, oh, this this demon, essentially, that I thought was inhabiting me, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not in any sort of like scientific sense or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I realized it was just, it was me at seven years, at like six or seven years old and just fucking so pissed off. Yeah. Suddenly this thing that I was trying to banish and get rid of and thought of as a problem was something that I was able to have compassion for. And that's when healing was able to really begin. That's really interesting. Yeah. So I don't know, that just made me think of uh, mm-hmm. What you were saying made me think of that. Sorry, sorry. This is becoming a therapy session for me, and I apologize. <laughs> no, I I'm enjoying the conversation. You know, it's really fascinating. And it, the thing about what I'm trying to work on, and and I think the thing about art, the more conversation it creates between people, like real connection, it, like more powerful it can be. Um, so we've been talking a lot about all these things at a very sort of individual, personal level. One might even mm-hmm. say a narcissistic level. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have any reflections or thoughts on the ethical or political upshot of artistic expression. I don't know if that's something that you spend time with. Um, I think art really uh, taps into living memory. Like you can you can read an account of some kind of historical horror or, or something in a kind of reportage fashion and be like, wow, yeah, that was, that was rough. Okay. I got the facts down. I know when this happened and what was involved, but then you can read a, a rendering of a personal account of someone who actually went through the trauma and be moved to start a movement, a social justice movement, because it, it's tapped into your emotions. You Because it has been framed in such a way that it's been made empathically accessible, mm. which can inspire to action and political change. Thanks for talking to me. Appreciate it. Oh, I had a good time.